0: On tonight's episode, has Zaka handed Man City a boost in the title race? Is the VAR experiment failed and finished? Is AI going to take over football podcasting? This and more in the Toki podcast. <laughs> Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Toki podcast and we have... RK, Radha and Ashwin on the pod today. We How are you guys? We have lots of talkie points to talk about. I'm going to kick us off today. For me, the talkie point is Inter and Milan both winning and potentially setting up a Milan Derby in the Champions League semi-final, giving us vibes of being back in the mid-2000s I don't know about you guys. Maybe you have something positive to talk about from your own football clubs rather than clinging on to European points. Let's go with Radhaji.
1: Not extremely positive, but uh, I guess we were so bad when we started off that game against Arsenal, getting our ass handed to us. Somehow clawed our way back. Uh, The crowd was dead. Everybody was resigned to the 2-0 loss. And then there was a flashpoint between Trent and Jaka and suddenly Trent learned how to defend aggressively and the crowd was right on top for the next 60 minutes. And we played a really good football match, one of the best football matches that we've played for 60 minutes after that. So I guess that's my talking moment. But yeah, 2-2 at Anfield, not, uh, not the best, but I think that keeps us right on target for that 8th place finish that we want.
0: Yeah, you would have been scared, right? Because you were probably going to be ninth with the 2-0. You're like, okay, come on, one point, at least one point, but not win. Otherwise, Conference League beckoned.
1: Yeah, yeah. Eighth is the, the sweet spot. I don't want to go below the likes of Brentford. That That's a little too hard to swallow, but uh, but yeah, eighth is a nice sweet spot.
0: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for reminding me that Brentford and Fulham are also ahead of Chelsea as we speak. Anyway, RK, Good to see you after a long time. How's it been? What's your talky point?
2: Long time, guys. Swag, is there something like a Saint Totteringham Day where uh, if Fulham finish above Chelsea? But you know, I don't we think it's
0: the- happened in a long while. But yeah, why not? Go for it. This is the season of firsts for us.
2: Yeah, the talkie moment for me would be Ericsson coming back after three months in a week where uh, in a few weeks where we have lost a lot of important players. The the like the most recent game, Martinez and Varan, uh, like uh, you know, going out, Garnacho is out, Shaw and Rashford are also out. So it's it's been a bleak time injury wise, but seeing Ericsson back on the pitch coming into a standing ovation was a great moment.
0: Yeah. At least someone's back fit and not injured. I think Ashwin has a slightly different take on, on this week's events though. <laughs>
3: Yeah, obviously it's not a positive event with Martinez uh, going off injured and structured off the uh but uh, I think um, what I really liked is his uh, Argentine compatriots he, uh, literally carrying him off the field. Now that could be looked at as a sign of great sportsmanship, or it could be looked at as uh, them trying to, you know get United down to 10 one as soon as possible uh, but I think it was a it was it was a great uh, great image uh, and uh, just one of those things that you like to see uh in the pitch
0: yeah I think it's divided Twitter as well a bit about whether it's sportsmanship or gamesmanship but undoubtedly a key key blow to United with the final few games of the season and the, and the run-in I think we'll we'll touch base on that uh, in more detail but let's get started and i think um, the zaka point brings us to the liverpool arsenal game and key key game in the title run probably more important for the title as compared to liverpool's uh, hopes of avoiding the conference league but at one point it looked like liverpool were dead and buried at anfield which is which is still a bit unnerving and surprising to see uh, regardless of how the season has been but uh, that comeback was pretty crazy and the second half made the game pretty pretty interesting and fun to watch as a neutral
1: yeah it was a, a superb second half i have to say like the actually the last 60 minutes even the last 15 minutes of the first half and the entire second half was just great to watch it was so intense lot of um, energy I, I don't think arsenal contributed too much to the um, well from the 40th minute onwards, I don't think they contributed too much to the game. Uh, though they had a chance to win it at the end, and given how they've actually scored some really cool late winners lately, they might kick themselves for that. Uh, it could be a turning point in the in the in the league season as well for them. Uh, it's not like last episode when we were talking about the game. I mentioned that I won't be surprised if uh, if we. As in, it will definitely not surprise me if we win, and it might surprise me a bit if Arsenal win. But I don't think Arsenal would have, at at after thirty minutes, felt like it would have been anything short of an upset if they had won. So uh, it would have been a proper deserved victory. So right at the end to get that chance through on goal with a wrong with a poor pass from Martinelli, who had a pretty good first half. Uh, And Saka couldn't get on the ball and Alisson ended up clearing. I think that was a real key moment in the game for Arsenal season. It could end up becoming a very, very close run of of games now. They have four tough games coming up uh, and uh, obviously playing City as well. So they could be level on points with City's game in hand. Uh, So, yeah, it's getting really tight. And like I mentioned to you guys off the record, I think I have now come back to a Man City 60, Arsenal 40 kind of situation uh, while I was all the way up for Arsenal till this weekend. Um, From a Liverpool point of view, I think nothing really. We're just winding down the season. Nothing much to talk about. I don't think any major improvements for the team. Um, Konate continues to impress. He's, He's good that midfield is still, it It has a lot to be, lots of correction to be done there.
3: Yeah, I think we spoke about this last week as well is the, uh, uh, that uh, it's uh, it's not an easy place to go to uh, for any team let alone Arsenal. Um, they started so well. Uh, when they were 2-0 up, I was like, wow, this this Arsenal team really wants the title and they're just going to blow Liverpool away and avenge the 7-0 Man United loss. I kid. But, uh, you know, uh, it is. Uh, they they started so well, and they and they just let Liverpool into the game. Uh, the Salah penalty miss was. Uh, I, I was a bit surprised with Salah missing penalty. I think it's, is it back to back game because he also missed a penalty against Bournemouth, right? So, uh, it's just it's. <laughs> I, I would have never thought of Salah missing so many penalties. The Jaka moment, as uh, uh, Rada mentioned earlier, I think it was a big pivotal moment as well. Uh, in terms of. It getting the Liverpool crowd all riled up and, you know, uh, almost like motivating the Liverpool players as well. Um, I think it was one of the best games of the season, if not the best game of the season. Uh, it had everything. It had, uh, you know, uh, you know, comeback. It had manager tussles. It had a penalty mess. Uh, and to, for it to come at such an important point of the season uh, also just goes to show how exciting this league is.
2: Yeah, for me, I think that Zaka moment is a bit overrated. Uh, Like, I didn't see the match live, but I uh, saw it uh, on one of the weekdays. Uh, The goal came right after that moment happened. So, I I, I would rather believe that, you know, the uh, the crowd getting revved up, the atmosphere, Liverpool, uh, you know, becoming a, a very fierce place again to play football at. All that came from the first goal itself, which was, I think, the same play right after the foul happened the first goal happened, it was not like Anfield got a time to really rev up and start shouting and that created the goal. So, for me, and, you know, what is a player supposed to do when, you know, someone rams into him, I don't, I, uh, like, you see that, you know, hundreds of times in a lot of home games and, you know, without really uh, people talking about it. So, for me, I think it was a bit overrated, but, uh, like, you know, suffice to say that Liverpool really uh, changed the game around from that moment
1: yeah i don't agree that it wasn't a, that it was a uh, wasn't a turning point because the next moment actually is what caused the entire crowd to come up it wasn't the goal um, immediately after the jaka moment it was gabriel martinelli running at Trent Alexander-Arnold, and he had gotten past him quite easily till then in the entire game. And Trent was clearly fuming after. He got a push from Xhaka, but yeah, it's not something that you don't see in games. It's not something that is that was out of the ordinary. Uh, the only thing that I can say that Arsenal, perhaps if they were Man City, for example, what they could have done better is this is Xhaka. We know what he does. We know the kind of history that he has. And he rounded up to Trent Alexander-Arnold, got his head in front of his and all of that. And you could see Gabriel Jesus and everybody else just coming and dragging him away. In fact, Alisson was also coming to drag Xhaka away because everybody knew Xhaka had that aura about him. If I was Liverpool, I would just be like, let them go, let them go. So yeah, immediately after that moment, there was Gabriel Martinelli running at Trent and Trent was just Properly aggressive, like a typical English right back, you would call it. Well, he never really does that too often. And he won the tackle and he got the crowd to rev up with his hands up and everything. I think from there onwards, I think we got, of course, lucky that we scored quite soon after that. um, That definitely helped. If we had gone into halftime still uh, 2-0 down, then probably that would have also fizzled away. But uh, we then got that momentum with the goal. Then we started off the second half really well. I think that's great. Uh, We managed to continue that momentum for 60 minutes. That's a small, small positive. Another big positive was Thiago's back. I think um, the level difference between him and our other midfielders is just... Too stuck uh, and considering he's 31-32 right now, it's a sad place for us to be that we're talking about how he's so far ahead as the best uh, midfielder that we have.
0: I'm more on uh, RK side about the Zaka incident because I think it's more a case of his old, not old, his historical reputation preceding and, and, and creating more of a story than there actually was. So I take a point about the Martinelli... Uh, part of it but yeah i th- i think the zaka bit was overhyped and more more for the memes more for the lols rather than the actual uh, incident ashwin you had something about ramsdale
3: yeah i mean uh, I, I it's uh, another game ended 2 all but ramsdale made some cracking saves as well i think uh, liverpool could have could have could have easily uh, you know got the three points and uh, it was definitely a point well earned for Arsenal. I think losing would be would have been a disaster uh, because, uh, like City, City, if they win against Arsenal, can then go uh, ahead of them. So that point, that point is definitely uh, uh, well earned. Uh, I think Ramsdale is definitely an upgrade over Leno as well for them. He he has made some really good saves and match winning saves uh, through the season. Uh, and if you look at all the teams that have won the title over the past many years, they've had a really good keeper. So uh, shout out to Ramsdale for, uh, you know, doing what he does.
0: Just imagine if they'd uh, taken off Leno and rather than uh, going for Leno, stayed with Martinez. Imagine how life could have turned out for them.
1: Yeah, I think I, I was just aw- like awestruck by Ramsdale's performance and, um, uh, over the, year, over the last couple of years, he's been a really solid performer for Arsenal. I still remember this one game. I think it was uh, because of the documentary that I, I remember this. It's um, a game that Arsenal won. I think they were leading 3-0. And then at the last 85th or 86th minute, they conceded a goal. And um, it they ended up winning 3-1 or 2-1 or something like that. And then they go into the dressing room. And Ramsdale looks like he's just lost the Champions League final. Like... Uh, but yeah, he's been a solid, solid performer for Arsenal, and I don't think there's any doubt that he's better than Leno. And I would, I would actually say that it's time we start talking about him for the England spot as well.
2: You know, I'm just really happy that Radha has come around to my uh, like probability percentage for Arsenal. I was always, you know, holding out that City are, you know, slightly more favourites all, you know, all these weeks. And if you look at Arsenal's recent results, it's not that they have really dropped too many points. They had that three-game sequence where they had one point. After that, they went on a 6-7 game uh, winning run, if I remember, coming into this fixture. So, it's not like Arsenal are performing badly. It's just that City tend to, you know, rev up at this time of the season more often than not. If you look at this a record of the last five, six seasons or the last four seasons, this is how they have always done it. Uh, and, uh, you know, This was always, I think, bound to come down to the wire for me. But just one question on Trent, I think there was a tactical alteration in that match where Trent was playing in midfield. So, uh, my question for Radha, like, how did you see that coming about it? It seemed like it wasn't working out at first and then it revved into gear. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that was interesting. It's not the first time. He's actually done it before as well, where he plays on the right back when we we have the ball. Uh, Sorry, uh, he moves into midfield uh, as where... Carrying the ball, and then when they start defending, and we have some time to reorganize, he comes back to right back. Um, But the transition play is wide open right now. I don't think they've gotten anywhere near as prepared as they need to be for that kind of tactical change. So, for example, when we lost the ball just into the Arsenal half or maybe on the half line, they were immediately running forward, and Konate was. Essentially, the right-back and the right centre-back at that time. And he had to keep running to the... And if, if actually Arsenal had caught on to that faster and taken the made the game wider and just got Martinelli to just stay wide the whole time, there was a huge gap between Konate and Van Dyke. And that's because Fabinho perhaps took some time to get into the centre-back position to cover. So, there was actually a moment where they hit that gap and... Luckily, I don't know, Van Dyke was able to stay with the man, and it ended up becoming nothing, or it ended up becoming a shot that just went wide. But I don't think Van Dyke is the man anymore to manage two people, two positions on his own. He once was. Like you could leave him with two attackers, one attacker, one-on-one without any fear in your heart at all. I don't think he's that guy anymore. He has, uh, he can be got at. So if we're doing this tactic, we need to be much better at the transitional play. Uh, but yeah, from a possession point of view, I think it's it's an interesting one because Trent is not all about the crosses. I think he does have a bit of tempo generation, a bit of... Um, uh, intelligent passing that he has in his game as well. And he plays some really cool one-twos. He did that with Henderson all through the game last... where Henderson almost played like a right-winger. So, some interesting things when it comes to uh, offensively. Defensively, again, uh, lots lots to improve there.
2: I spoke about Van Dijk and just... Uh, you know, that just reminded me about Jamie Carragher hitting another of his clickbait, uh, you know, headlines and getting a lot of shit from United fans. I, I can't even imagine how, uh, you know, someone can argue so strongly that uh, you know that van Dyke has been a better premier league defender than vijay anyway i'll leave it at that
1: so i i will say this though rk and and maybe every, obviously the last one year has colored opinions on that but for the 3 year 4 year 5 i think it was his last season on southampton to the first maybe two or three seasons in in Liverpool. And that is a very small, of course, when you compare legends, you obviously always have to take into account longevity, which is why John Terry, Vidic, Rio Ferdinand will always be the, you know, the goats of the Premier League era. But that three-year, four-year period, Van Dijk was probably the best centre-back that I'd ever seen. It was just a small period of time though. So perhaps he should not be getting that kind of uh, adulation, uh, and discussion in the world but for that period of time and he was transformative for us like he did make a huge difference but yeah longevity always like for example i always argue that suarez had probably the best couple of seasons i'd ever seen in the premier league but at the same time you can never compare him to an Henry. you can never compare him to a sharer
0: yeah from one cyber war that happened to this cyber war
1: that happened
0: i mean it's four times this season Brighton have been given an apology by PGMOL saying that sorry, we got it wrong and we we don't know what we're doing on the pitch or off the pitch and I know we've mostly stayed away from talking about these refereeing controversies on this squad, but it's a bit weird that that they can keep doing this and there's not much reproach. I don't know if there's if there's a review planned at the end of the season but it doesn't look good, right? For for the league as well, it's it's not a good look for the Premier League. I think there was some posts on Twitter comparing the salaries of uh, referees in the PL and other big leagues and surprise, surprise, the PL refs are paid lesser significantly as compared to the other ones, which is where people were going, yeah, yeah you need to pay them better, which is why they're not doing their work properly, etc. Et like, yeah, okay, you, you give Stuart Atwell some bonus and then he'll give correct decision maybe. But uh yeah it's 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 not a good look and particularly in a match which can potentially decide who's trying to go for a top 4 between spurs and brighton it might have ended up being a brighton win and now it it ended up being a spurs win so yeah any thoughts on this
3: yeah what a bunch of like uh, this it's so easy to just uh, you know uh, issue a, a note of apology right because, uh, at, at that point in time brighton Deserved a penalty. Uh, they deserved a goal that was ruled out, and and then and then it totally gave the initiative to Spurs as well. And then obviously there was altercation between the two two managers. I think Deservey was not even getting involved, and he was sent off to the stand, or something like that happened. Also, it's it's just it's just we, the standards of refereeing in this country is is just is just is just appalling. I would say.
0: Yeah, but uh, there's this an interesting thing there as well. I, you, you talk about Deserby, but apparently he was sent off because of his failure to control his troops, basically. So there are all these weird laws which we don't even know. So it's basically, they're, they're why are why, why your assistants uh, fighting with their assistants? So you you get sent off. It's like class monitor being punished for the, for the class's I think, mistakes. I think it's
3: the the one good thing about war is that it gives us the opportunity to look back at events the one bad thing about war is that y- you have to you know go by the rule book and the rule book i I, mean, I i think before war things were a bit more subjective right so we used to so if there was a if, if there was a if there was a hard tackle right you would you would argue that oh this guy is trying to uh, you know um uh you know, not trying to injure the player, but the rule is very clear on if it's a hard tackle and the studs are up, you need to give a red card and those sort of things. I, I, there, there will always be a, a debate amongst opposing fans around depending on, you know, what side of the what side of the, uh, you know, uh, the decision that you are in. But like in this in this instance, it was very clear that Brighton deserved a penalty. And, and, and like we got the short end of the stick. And it is very easy for the referees to come come back after the game and say that, oh, we looked, we, we had the opportunity to look at an event in slow motion. We decided not to give a penalty. And and now we've realized that we made a mistake because there was, you know, a lot of opposition from fans. And now we all we are doing is we are saying sorry. So it just does not make sense to me.
0: See, but... Another thing there is, okay, you can't change anything after the result of the game as well. But what they also need to do is probably clarify their operational guidelines on VAR. Because I think the Australian League does it where you actually hear what the ref is saying. Like like in rugby. It happens
3: in rugby. It like happens like in it rugby happens in rugby.
0: Well. At least you know then what their rationale is. And that rationale might well be wrong. In which case, as it, is, as it has happened, Brighton get a drive-in uh, drive from the head of the PGMOL and he comes in and uh, apologizes to them and gets pelters and goes back home. But at least you then have a better understanding. Right now, it's completely nebulous. You have no idea. You just mm. you just get a message saying, Ah, oh, okay, VAR didn't take a look at it. VAR took a look at it, but didn't think that it was anything else. And then there is a review after the game and then they say, yeah, okay i think we probably got this wrong so let's apologize i think there needs to be better accountability there and a better understanding of what's supposed to happen and who's supposed to do what
2: you know what's really irritating for me is the lack of uh, you know how you apply standards so for me the mind always keeps going back to you know these red card incidents where Hak- like hakim gh rightly didn't get a red card because when he tried to i mean hit the other player it didn't like, it went to the face, like, from the shoulder, etc., right? And then you have this incident where Casemiro was sent off because it seemed a perfectly legitimate tackle uh, where it just happened to go off the ball and then hit the, you know, shin off the other player and he got sent off. And then a couple of weeks after that, I don't remember this game, but there was an exactly same incident, but probably even more severe, where it started a yellow card and where checked it and it didn't give a red. So, I mean, and there are... You know tons of incidents like this uh, on the same note you can apply it to penalties as well you can apply it to handballs the same standards are never applied and i don't I don't know if where is you know has toughened things up more or is it, like is it worse than the uh you know than the past i don't know but i mean all the human intervention and the lack of standards is where i think it's going wrong it's not necessarily where but people just need to apply it better in the premier league
1: yeah, so um, I, I I keep going back to um, it's really hilarious for me to see the comment like the commentary from the referee association I don't know PGMOL or whatever the hell they're called and uh, for me there are two things so it's the PGMOL statement and Dermot Gallagher these are the two things that uh, that for me show me what the bloody mood is on refereeing and how how things are going currently they're in the PR phase so if you go back a season or maybe two seasons ago. There was not a single, like a guy could have taken a revolver out of his pocket, shot the defender, but if the referee had not caught it, Dermot Gallagher would come on screen and say, um, no, no, it was a doubtful decision. I think the referee was right in what he did. They were just clearly covering their own ass. Now, it's like they're so, they've got so many things wrong that they're making statements after every game saying, hands up, we got it wrong here. And then Dermot Gallagher is coming out on live TV and saying, I think the referee's got it wrong. You know what this is? This reminds me of, um, Ole Gunnar Soljar, um, coming out after a game at United and saying, I have to put my hands up here. I take full responsibility for this and all of this. You know, the first three or four times that he did it, everybody was like, Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so refreshing that a manager is coming out and taking, taking his, uh, like it all on himself. And he's actually calling bullshit, bullshit and all of that. But then the eighth or ninth or tenth time that he kept doing it, like, you know, just shut up and fix it, man. Like we don't want to hear that. You're, you got it wrong, we don't want to hear that it's, <laughs> it's something that you, you're you taking, like you're putting your hand up and taking responsibility. That is like an expectation of the job. Just shut up and fix it now. It's getting really annoying to hear these people just say that, my bad, I got it wrong. And then what? If somebody gets something wrong as a player, you get, you might lose a contract, you might, you might get suspended, sent to train with the reserves. If if something like this happens to a team, they could get relegated. Like, what happens then after you say you got it wrong? What the hell happens after that? I think it's a bloody farce. I think they've been protected for far too long. There's this one line that people say that... Oh, referees are actually the only thing that stands between the game going in the sanctity of the game, the honesty of the game, because they are the ones who hold all the cards. And, you know, it's like almost saying that if you don't, if you treat our referees badly, then there'll be like match fixing and stuff like that. Sorry, that's not an okay excuse. Get the right people in, pay them well. It's the biggest, most paid league in the world. Surely they can afford it. It's just absolute crap. I'm getting very tired of the, hey, my bad. Sorry, let's move on.
2: You know, you talked about this lack of accountability and what happens to them. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you said uh, that came to my mind when you said that was, uh, like, you know, a player slaps a ref. Like what happened with Mitrovic and he gets eight nine games. I, I still don't know what, ha- what has happened to the rest. You know, who kind of elbowed Robertson?
1: It's gone. This, no, there's been, been,
0: been nothing. There's going to be no further action. It's
1: already been. So true. it's clearly, clearly, Robertson and this guy have chatted after the game. They've whatever like shaken hands and, and made up for it. And now everybody is like, okay, the no more further action. It's been announced as well. So nothing's happening to that referee. Everything's absolutely fine. I mean, perhaps it was a mistake and Mitrovic was not. I don't know. But still, it's just ridiculous. And That double standards is everywhere.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm still not convinced. And I think I heard about this on one of the more established pods. Uh, where uh, they talked about how even at uh, lower levels of football in England, they're like, where will these good refs come from? That if you think that the Premier League ref- refereeing levels are bad, wait till you take a look at what's happening in the championship or the League 1 or League 2. So then a potential solution is get people from outside, get people from France, get people from Germany. And that's that's something that they've tried in the sense that those people would come in and be there but they still don't have uh, a plan for those those guys to officiate.
3: But if, if you look at the refereeing standards in the Champions League and the Europa League as well, they are not uh, they are not any uh, better. No, I, w- I would they,
0: disagree with that. I would say that the Champions League var I mean, and are, there, there League there refereeing is the, better than Premier League for sure.
3: There have been a lot of games, uh, at least in Man United, like. Uh, the, the, the the game against Sevilla, Bruno Fernandez got a yellow card for no reason at all, and uh, there have been the the game I think against Barcelona as well. Some yellow cards were handed out uh,
2: in the Barcelona match. Yes, yes, so like uh, like Martinez got a you know a red uh, like Martinez considered a penalty for what was not even a handball. It's some of the refereeing is atrocious in Europe.
3: Yeah, so again, like again, it really depends depends on the referee. In that particular game, uh, uh, I, I I agree with you, uh, Swag. Like I think that there there is merit in potentially looking at referees from outside Europe. I I I follow the Bundesliga, and I think VAR is used to really good effect at least in the Bundesliga. So maybe I don't know the refereeing standards are higher in Germany. So maybe look at that. Uh, what we just need is a referee like Kolina, man. Like, I mean, what a ref that was! No VAR yeah, uh, needed. He was,
0: on on like, on he was on that. Just on that, just before we move on, just on Colina, apparently he used to get shit in Italy all the time as well. So it's it's probably just yeah. our our bias that, okay, we follow the Premier League, so our uh, referees are shit, but uh, Colina is, oh, he was yeah. this god and who Ronaldo gave his jersey to. And in Italy, he used to get shit uh, on a weekly basis. So probably probably it's uh, grass is greener on the other side. But yeah, definitely no, no, some...
3: No social media, platform,
0: yeah. right? So yeah. you could
3: get away with <laughs> it
0: yeah and and the way he looked he was just scary looking but yeah anyway let's move on and if you remember we talked about having some chat gpt influence things on this episode because that's quite the theme right now so what i did was i asked this ai which is not chat gpt it's a different one because chat gpt if you're aware only knows information till 2021 so uh, doesn't know what's happening in the world right now so i got got a different ai and i asked him to give me 10 quiz questions for the current european football season and interesting <laughs> interestingly he was i'll so Trust me, the answers are given by the AI and not me, so we'll correct them when we get to the wrong ones. But here is question number one. These are so silly, but I think let's just do them for the lols. Who won the Premier League in the 2021-22 season?
1: Wow. What? Really? <laughs> I I think I think we're ready. We're ready to reject technology.
0: Yes. AI, AI is going to get banned soon, I think, with the look of it. Anyway, Man City, of course. Then, who, which team has won the most Premier League titles to date? And I was like, dude, I can probably write better questions while while asleep. Who is the current? I think, manager I think you'll
1: League? need to. I, I think you'll need to give them more information, like a, write a challenging quiz, or write a, <laughs> yeah. a, a hard quiz, or something. Maybe maybe write a quiz is just like write, basic. Ra-
3: write a quiz for a 30-year-old, not a five-year-old. Maybe but you
0: know, uh, on on that note, you remember we, we talked about this and then uh, Ashwin and I both tried talking to the AIs and asking them about football and I think for Kane, he asked him a question about Kane and the content that the AI put out for Kane, knowing the information from 2021 was exactly the situation that Kane is in even today. So Kane is probably feeling uh, that his life hasn't changed in two years because it was like, It'll be key to see if he moves in the summer. Maybe he goes to Manchester United. Maybe he goes abroad to a different club. But he needs to move if he wants to win trophies. And
1: it's the same situation even now. You mean Tottenham Hotspur have not become a successful club in one year's time? Wow, that's a real shocker.
0: (laughs) Yeah, imagine. And that is despite or because of Antonio Conte. Anyway, so on that disappointing AI quiz, sorry listeners, let's move on to... Talking a bit more about uh, United, we we mentioned the injuries that uh, the players had. So, Martinez went off injured and Ashwin has already got his head in his hands. Varan went away injured and we don't even know his prognosis yet, right? Martinez is out for the season, but Varan, we still don't know what's happening with him. Yeah,
2: Varan would be back before the end of the season. Right? But okay. knowing Varan, never know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are other people who are injured as well. Casemiro is, I think, still out for one more game.
2: Or... Casemiro and Ericsson are back. Okay. But it's Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford, and Dharma these are the main players who are still out. I'm not yeah. talking of Andy.
3: Scott, Scott McTominay also has a knock, I think. So he's also out. So, how do you
0: see this playing out in terms of. Um the europa league as well as the top 4 run in and i would like to you guys to try and be a bit neutral and not be your typical jinxing stuff here so definitely center back is is going to be a pain point because harry Maguire is going to be in the lineup and he's been giving some david brent sort of messages saying that i have the best record of his, in history of Uh, England centre-backs and I am a leader and whenever I play there is my influence on the game and stuff like that but yeah I can take your point about the centre-backs but I think it's good that you still have some sort of uh, buffer over Tottenham in the the fight for top four
2: Yeah so let's look at how serious uh, you know which injuries are right so uh, Rashford Shaw uh, and then you have McTominay I think the three of them are supposed to be back soon uh, Ten Hag was commenting that probably Rashford could be back for the Sevilla away game as well, but uh, uh, but there's no surety about that as of now. Even Shaw is expected to be back soon. Same for McTominay. So these three injuries may not hurt as much uh, in the duration, you know, in the remaining duration of the season. Garnacho, there is still nothing on on you know how uh, like how much longer he will take. Sancho has come in for him, but. There is a marked difference in the level that they are both at. So, you know, that is still a big miss, I would say, for us. Uh, what is really going to hurt us is the two centre-backs. Lisandro is definitely out for the season. I'm just hoping that he's back for pre-season and is not delayed, you know, and then he needs to catch up and all that. That can also hurt, you know, people who are on the top of their game. But Varan and Martinez being out is a big, big blow uh, because Martinez especially, uh, he is you know, one of the best players that uh, uh, that are probably there in the Premier League in playing in a high press. He steps out and, you know, jokes a lot of attacks at the source itself and then Varane is the one who is covering up behind him. I think that chemistry is really going to be missing. Secondly, Martinez is also very good at playing out from the back. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, how we even covered up or managed to cover up for Casemiro Ericsson's absence was because of Martinez and how he used to pass out. Without the two of them In combo, it's you know, it's going to be back to the of Maguire days Which was the default combination under Solskjaer and we know you know, what all flaws they bring with them uh, They don't have pace uh, uh, to, You know to deal with runs in behind They are they might be Maguire might be okay at handling aerial balls, but you know uh, people like one-on-ones both of them are poor passing out from the back also you know, Maguire and Lindelof nowhere near the same level of Martinez. So what we might actually see is that Shaw comes back, if he comes back early, he might have to play centre-back and then that would mitigate some of the problems that we have in build-up but, you know, it's it's all open uh, how we are going to deal with that situation especially with De uh, In terms of distribution, it's going to be, you know, back to square one for us.
3: Yeah, I think Arke covered it really well. One thing I I I, I think we have been missing even, even uh, with without those injuries uh, is control especially in the sevilla game uh, i think it was such a such a frantic game and it was like united losing the ball uh, quite a bit uh, in the middle of the field and especially if you don't have the likes of varan and uh, martinez in defense that that midfield will always have uh, you have to keep an eye uh, in the back right uh, as AK mentioned, Maguire and Lindelof. <coughs> Sorry. They they're not the defenders who can play a high line. Uh, and that's something that that's something that Ten Hag that that's something that Ten Hag has instilled. And there's a reason that Maguire does not play, and there's a reason that Lindelof does not play. Uh I, I don't even know if we can uh, if if Phil Jones is available. Yeah, it's it's something that I'm definitely, definitely worried about. I think uh, from the other injury standpoint. Uh, rashford is obviously someone who's got like 33 35 goals uh, so not having them uh, him obviously is a big miss uh, let's see if he comes back into the Serie A game because we definitely need his goals there uh, the fact that we conceded two goals and lost the lead that we had uh, we definitely need him especially without Bruno fernandes who is going to miss the next the next the next game as well
2: and you know you can't talk uh, you know not talk about injuries without talking of martial he is still i think feeling his way in he was taken off as a precaution on 60 minutes because it was his first start in many months so you yeah. know with martial it's almost like you are carrying one injured player and we can just hope that he turns the corner fitness wise but even that is up in the air as of now
0: i think the biggest beneficiary of this uh, injury run is uh, newcastle because just before um, their current run where they've they've reconsolidated a bit after the Carabao Cup final, they, they seem to be in a bit of bother. But I think this will give them a decent leeway to consolidate their position and, and definitely finish in the top four.
2: Yeah, talk about momentum at the right time. Newcastle, I think the three really fond teams right now in the Premier League are probably Newcastle. Uh, Then you have Aston Villa as well. I think they have won six of the last seven games. And then you have Man City, obviously. Uh, Newcastle, I think, are at at the moment with, you know, the kind of the number of games that they have left to play with them playing, uh, you know, almost once a week, they are favourites to grab that third place and the momentum that they have. This is the kind of momentum that you want going into the end of the season, into the home straight. So, uh, like Tottenham Hotspurs, everyone says that they are having a bad season, uh, and all that but still they are only 3 points off the base and it's really irritating that someone who is having a bad season is you know is uh, is so close to united so a lot of grey areas for united at the moment
3: and of course they've been handi- uh, they've been handed out wins by bar officials as well right so that that obviously helps uh but i think from a top four perspective i i i, I feel that we should definitely get the fourth spot uh, it will be it will be a calamity if we don't. Uh, despite the injuries that we have, as RK mentioned, some of the players, some of the attacking players at least are coming back. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, what we need is control. Like that, the game against Sevilla was the, was exactly the kind of things that we have been doing wrong. Uh, we 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 need we could have easily won that game three or three nil four nil, and that is something that you notice even in Premier League games. Uh, you know. We we go up one we go one goal up and then we are hanging till the very end uh, and then we sometimes score the second goal sometimes it's like a nervy one nil win I think we need to just have a bit of control and I think the midfielders will really help us in doing that.
2: Yeah you know it it was such a bittersweet game in terms of the first half an hour was actually brilliant to see uh, okay the control wasn't the best. And, but that deteriorated after the first half an hour. I think first half an hour was really scintillating in terms of how people were rotating positions. And, you know, you could see a lot of things that Ten Hag wanted to do or wants to do with this team and the similarities to his previous, you know, Ajax sides. There were center midfielders who were dropping wide in fullback positions. There were fullback, uh, you know fullbacks who were coming into center midfield. They were underlapping, overlapping. I mean, there were all kinds of positional rotations without compromising on space in that first half you know, 30 minutes and the best part was how he's kind of, uh, you know, adjusted to not having Casemiro Ericsson with Bruno playing deep, pushing Sabitzer up and Sabitzer was complementing Martial perfectly with Martial dropping deep, linking up and Sabitzer was making, you know, all those runs beyond the last line and he scored two goals which were very well deserved. So, to start, you know, from that plank of dominance in the first 30 minutes, that's why... I, I was arguing on the group last Sunday as well that, you know, people were talking about 2-0 Arsenal being, you know, dead and buried. I mean, I have never thought about a game being dead and buried at 2-0. United were as dominant, I think, against Sevilla as Arsenal were against Liverpool, if not more, and you see how these things turn on a few moments. That one moment being Varan, you know, hobbling off injured for one minute and then Bruno getting a yellow card you know, on the edge of the box for what is not even a handball. So, Swag, your comment about European refereeing, that's another moment, you know, of really atrocious refereeing. I don't know whether, you know, where some of that logic comes from. So, with and with all the injuries which came after, it's, I mean, it's kind of on the edge for United. It's very important that now we take points from Nottingham Forest, which is a very tough away game. And Sevilla, you know, have become kind of like a bogey team for United and For me personally, that whole heritage comment from Joseph, which was, you know, proper covering of his own ass, that was, it's something that has really stuck with me since. I, I don't think United with all their injuries and all this, all the other excuses have any excuses if, if we can't put it beyond Sevilla. A a team which is on the brink of the relegation zone in La Liga, whatever happens, we need to put, uh, you know, put one across that team. You can't question any heritage, any Sevilla record in Europa League for that.
3: Yeah, and the one thing about that Sevilla game is that they made six changes to the uh, to the first team uh, because they have this uh, relegation six-pointer game against Valencia. Uh, if, if you believe it, uh, so it's I I I don't I think Sevilla had also given up hope before the game. I, I, like just looking at that team, you could feel that okay, this is uh, they are there for the taking, right? Uh, and the fact that Sevilla of all the teams came back and uh, got that draw at Old Trafford, uh, the stadium where we have been winning so many games it's it, it's just appalling. Uh, I think like RK you said, the first 30 40 minutes we were completely dominating. there were so many spaces that we were exploiting. Uh, it's not just it's uh, I think Sabetsa did really well. he was kind of playing the Donny Vanderbeek role. At IX, I think he did that to very good effect. Of course, he scored the goals. That's the cherry on top. Uh, the center midfield were also exploiting the half spaces. I think they did, they did that to really good effect. In some ways, Sevilla allowed that to happen. I think uh, what happened in the second half, or like after the 30th minute at least, United pretty much self imploded. Uh, like they lost all the control and then they eventually brought on Ericsson with the aim of someone, you know, bringing that control back. But, but by that point, I think, like, enough damage was done. We we conceded, uh, we conceded um, the first own goal, and then, you know, Maguire headed in the second goal as well. We had chances to go 3-0, 4-0 final up as well. I think the Malasia miss was, was absolutely horrendous. I understand he's a fullback, uh, but I feel that, you know, we had a lot of chances. Anthony also hit the post, uh, so it was just, just not, just not a good day for us. I still feel that you know the next leg, we'll go and probably get the job done, but it, it, I, I don't think we need to be in this position at all.
0: Yeah, I think I, I blame, I blame uh, Mark Goldbridge for this. I saw a clip online where he's talking in the eighty-fourth minute that we could keep playing till the end of the season and Sevilla won't score.
3: i quite literally like fifteen. Seconds so, later, how I, I tried blocking that guy so many times, but he comes up on my TikTok feed. I don't know from there.
0: Yeah, I,
3: I, <laughs> like I got Mark him And speed are like, so... I,
0: thankfully, I've gotten rid of speed, but uh, Goldbridge still keeps coming up in this out of context football Twitter account, etc. etc. But it was
3: like poetic timing. Like... Maybe he can answer your AI quiz, uh, with the amount of knowledge <laughs> that he
0: has. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, moving on to the other Manchester team, Pep not overthinking this time round and smashing Bayern. The the game was not as lopsided as the scoreline suggests, but Pep getting the result that he needed and Mane getting so pissed that he broke Sane's face after the game and has been suspended now. But uh, City looking good for a Semi-final against Real Madrid, Galacticos of old versus Galacticos of new. Uh,
3: yeah, I think. Um, so, see, one thing I would say about this game, though, is that three nil is probably a flattering scoreline. I think Bayern did a reasonably good job. Maybe like a one nil loss or a one two nil loss or two one loss or something of that sort is probably a more fitting scoreline. Uh, and I think. I think. One thing that Tuchel has done is he's not tried to change the way the Bayern team plays, right? Because this Bayern team has been very good or very comfortable playing on the counter. Uh, and that's what he, uh, and he has like all those flair players. Uh, the fact that they did not have a leader on the pitch really, really impacted them. There was no Muller. Uh, I think they also met Miss Chupu Moting uh, as well uh so i as far as uh, as much as credit i want to give to city and pep i think the fact that Bayern were missing those players also played 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 a bearing on the on the final scoreline um, and uh, ahead of the game i uh, when i looked at the score uh, sorry when i looked at the team sheet and i saw those two central midfielders and one of those central midfielders was john stone i was like okay pep is again overthinking this Actually, work to his advantage because uh, they could they could control the game very well, especially in the absence of Muller. So, uh, fair, play, fair play, I think it's a it's a great result to take to the Alliance.
0: Yeah, and uh, we still have uh, Cruz and Modric running the show for Madrid, which will probably still be the case twenty years from now. The way it looks like. I mean, we've been talking about their demise for five years now, and and it doesn't seem like. That they're ever going to go away. So yeah, Madrid versus City would be a interesting, interesting battle. Stones versus Modric, to, in oh, in the, Modric, yeah,
3: yeah. But, but the way the way Madrid were playing against Chelsea, it was like literally man versus boy. Yeah. Uh, so I think this the, the Essencio goal, uh, especially the way they were passing around in the box. It it felt like a bomb up game. Uh, yeah. so
0: yeah we had a chance at the mount... end though mount had this chance at the end which if he had scored it would have been a much more palatable and possible scenario getting going into the second leg but i think the the scoreline easily reflects what happened in the game it it, it would have been extremely um, lucky for us to have gotten a goal out of the game
3: yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know what, I hate the fact that we don't have away goals rules anymore. I think it, it added a really good dimension, like get that away goal and then go back to your home and, you know, uh, get get a draw or something like that. I, I really miss away goals
0: sometimes. <laughs> right. Anyway, moving on, finally, we have the, the weekend fixtures coming up and I th- I think we don't have many standout fixtures apart from maybe Chelsea Brighton where we remember what happened in the return leg where Potter was being booed by the Brighton fans. He's not there anymore. Let's see what they do this time round. Uh, but I, I think I'll go for Leeds versus Liverpool, we remember what happened in the return leg like of this one as well crazy game, 4-3 I think at the end and table tennis match going on in on a football pitch, 2 and fro, 2 and fro. but uh, yeah, I think Leeds, slightly uh, more tricky situation as compared to Liverpool but uh, it'll be fun to have an yeah. encounter there
3: Yeah, I think for me, it will be uh, the battle of the two cities. So Man City versus Leicester City. Uh, I think especially with uh, Dean Smith, Uh, I always feel that Leicester City is one team that has given uh, Man City, you know, so I think I'll I'll go for that as my game. On that
0: note, I think we've come to the end of the episode. And we shall reconvene next week with the analysis of what's happened this week. And uh, see you soon. In the meantime, enjoy the weekend's games. Bye-bye.